You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Man, that's so good. I love that. Isn't that so good right there? Yeah, if you've been with us, you know that we're moving through the Gospel of Mark. And as we're moving through, we've divided the book up into a kind of a trilogy that's going to take us up to and including Easter Sunday. So far, we've seen Jesus as the man of action. Now, again, as Mark sort of shifts his look, we shift ours. And now we're seeing Jesus as the God who heals. So for the next few weeks, we'll be taking a look at the middle section of the Gospel of Mark and seeing, again, Jesus as the God who heals. It's my honor to introduce to you our guest speaker today is a part of our larger Every Nation family. You're about to hear from Pastor Dehan Lee. Dehan uh, is a pastor of Renew Church in Los Angeles, California. Uh, in the late 2014, he and a, a group of about 10 hearty, brave souls did not know what they were signing up for. Relocated from Virginia all the way out to LA to, with a vision to plant a church that would renew people, see them restored, see them put back together, and then sitting back out into their community to be able to live out that message. So uh, flash forward five years later or so, and now it's a thriving multi-ethnic community just like ours, about 500, almost 600 people. So it's amazing. God really has done a miracle there. Uh, Dehan did his uh, undergraduate work at Northwestern, graduate work at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, married to his wife, Julie. They've got three daughters, 15, 12, and 7. Uh, He loves to read as you can hear, uh, loves taking the long walk, spending time with his family, and especially watching the NBA playoffs. He likes, he likes pro hoops. And so yeah, there's a team, if you haven't heard in LA called the Lakers, maybe you heard of him. It's got a guy named uh, LeBron, maybe some guy you've heard of. I don't know. I think he's a rookie or something, right? I think that the other guy's got a future um, in the league. So uh, anyway, but most of all, he actually, he likes to fish. He's a fisherman and his great dream and prayer is that God will heal his wife, Julie, of motion sickness so she can go with him on a tuna fishing expedition. This is true. He asked me to say this, so I'm telling you all. But anyway, would you guys please all give a warm mosaic welcome all the way from Los Angeles, California, Pastor Dehan Lee. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. Um, it's a privilege to be at this pulpit, to be uh, with the, uh, is that me? With, oh, is it the wind? Oh, yes, the wind of God. The wind of God. Um, you know, I was, I was telling the other services, like the way I feel about this church is when you, um, you know, have like someone's soup or, or a home-cooked meal and it's like really good and you know a lot of love has been poured into this. You don't know what the recipe is, but you're tasting something that is, like, really good. That's what this church feels like. There's so much goodness here. Obviously, Pastor Morgan, his wife Carrie, all the staff, all the leaders, everyone who serves, uh, deeply, deeply impressed. But just the spirit of this house and the presence of God here, it is absolutely unmistakable. So I don't know if you've been, this is your first time or your first few times, but God is here. This is an amazing church. And now I've got a church to look up to and aspire to. One day I want Renew to look like Mosaic and be like Mosaic. So praise God for this partnership and uh, this chance for me to preach God's word. Tuna fishing is on my bucket list. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Because my, you know, it's a couple days away on a, on a boat. Um, my wife gets seasick. Uh, I also have three young kids, so I haven't touched a rod in years. Um, but I have a bucket list item that I recently accomplished or, uh, you know, fulfilled, which is Israel. I was in Israel recently and that was a life changing trip for me on so many levels. But one of which is because 
I'm also speaking on the book of Mark at my church. And so it kind of like, it's like, you know, divine orchestration to be able to preach this message that I just recently preached at my church because we're also in the same series. And then to have just recently come from Israel and be where Jesus was and see what he saw and touch what he touched. And what's really cool is that I got to be on this body of water we're about to read about. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, otherwise known as Lake Knesseret. Verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. That's the other side of the sea. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There are also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern Sleeping on a cushion, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They're terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We ask, Holy Spirit, you would open up the hearts of your people. Be with this servant on stage. May your words, my words be your words, and may the hearts of your people be good soil. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen. So, um, in Israel, um, I brought back some pictures. Uh, Right outside the hotel was the Sea of Galilee. This is Sunrise. And I was so stoked because I had read about this body of water so often. If you read the Gospel of Mark, the opening chapters, Jesus is just crisscrossing this specific sea or lake. You know, here you have, um, what is it, the uh, 183. You don't call it the 183. In L.A., it would be the 183, like the 405, the 10. Um, but you have uh, a commute, somewhere you crisscross all the time to go from point A to point B. For Jesus, this was his commute. This is where he would get, get from village to village. This is where he called his disciples, fishermen from this area. This is where he performed many of his miracles along the villages of the shore of the sea. Um, this is where he walked. This is the, storm, uh, the body of water where he quieted the storm, as we'll read today or just read today. So a lot of his life happened here. What's really cool is I stood there watching the sunrise. A few minutes later, I saw this. <clears throat> Two fishermen in a boat. Just like Peter and Andrew with nets. And I was so tempted to go cast it on the other side. <laughs> You're not having much luck. Because I was seeing them pull it up. Maybe a couple fish on the other side, dudes. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Uh, a couple days later, uh, all the pastors that were there got on a large party boat and actually w- were on these waters. And it sounded like this. That's me shouting in my phone. You can't hear me because the wind is so loud. That's good right there. And that's a typical day or moment of a day on the Sea of Galilee because uh, there's mountains that, that surround this sea and the warm waters of that lake pull down the mountain air and that colliding of cold mountain air and warm water creates these microbursts that our scripture calls a squall. It says a furious squall. Our, uh, the captain of our boat had no 
nervousness or anxiety. The rest of us are holding on to the rails because it was so choppy and turbulent that they had to turn the boat back for us uh, uh, American pastors who had no, <laughs> we didn't have sea legs or anything. Um, but, the, you know, the, the captain of the boat felt like this was like a normal day on the Sea of Galilee. But here it says a furious squall. And professional fishermen who have sailed these waters their whole life were afraid of drowning. So this is really bad. But you know the story. You just read it. Jesus is asleep. I don't know how he's doing that. He gets up, stills the storm so that the circumstances match his insides. He's the king of peace. And he speaks peace over the storm and it quiets. And then the disciples are stunned. It says they're terrified. And the title of my sermon, therefore, is uh, His Peace... Jesus' peace is stronger than the storm, is bigger than the storm. I love that. I want that to be true of me. I want Jesus' peace to be bigger than my storm. But to get there, I have a couple questions we have to unpack. Number one, why the storm? Why is there a storm? Because Jesus led them there. Two, how can Jesus be sleeping? It's a million-dollar question. Like, how can you be? I was on those waters. You can't sleep. Uh, Three, What's with the rebuke? Because Jesus rebukes them. These are fishermen trying to survive. I mean, give, give these guys a break. Uh, four, the question they themselves ask, and we'll close with it. Who is this man? And as we go and answer these questions, I think we'll hopefully get at what it means for his peace to be bigger than our, our storm. And so let me tackle the first question. Why the storm? It's the context for Revelation. If you actually look at the details, it, it can be disturbing because sometimes you come into storms because you made bad decisions. As you know, storms are a metaphor for trials and hardship, which is why in a different parable, Jesus teaches how uh, we can build on sand or build on rock, but eventually the storms come and test what you built, right? So storms metaphorically represent hardship and difficulty. So reading that into the story, uh, Jesus essentially leads his men right into difficulty, right into the storms, in this case, a physical storm, but in our case, the storms of life. Jesus chose the day and time. Think about that. The Son of God picked that day and that moment and said, let's go. He could have waited an hour. These, the, party boat, uh, the party captain said, these storms come and they go quickly. So Jesus, you just had to wait two hours. Or picked a different day. But he intentionally leads these men into the furious squall. Why? Well, in this story, you kind of get why. Because at the end of it, they're saying, who is this man? This man that can even calm these storms. It says they were terrified. In the Greek, the word, it's not abject fear like the boogeyman. But it's talking more about a reverence that is so immense that it makes you quake. Have you felt that before? Did you ever stand at the lip of the Grand Canyon and see this gash in the earth? The size blows your mind. How did this happen? And you're just trembling, partly with fear, but with awe. Or maybe you meet your hero and just to stand in her or his airspace and be a few feet from your hero, you're like, oh, or my daughter, if they saw Justin Bieber, they would lose their mind, filled with awestruck fear and trembling. But these men who's, who have been with Jesus for a little bit, 
see him in a different way that strikes them with, with terror, with awe, with fear. They're seeing Jesus be God. But it happens on the other side of a storm. Storms are context for revelation because I'll tell you, if it was glass placid and they're just kicking back drinking margaritas on this lake, there's no need for a revelation of God because you've got enough God to produce margarita life. <laughs> and we like margarita life. We really do. It's just that you're not spiritually hungry kicking back and sipping. It's when the storms come and you realize that every resource you, you, resource you have can't meet the storm and the knowledge of God you, can't, you have can't sustain you in the storm that you realize, I need an upgrade. I need a divine upgrade. I need more, more of God to figure this out. And so storms, sometimes Jesus leads you into them. Yeah, you could be living right. Think about this. They're following Jesus into a storm. Sometimes storms come because we're messed up and we make terrible decisions. Easy answer. Follow Jesus. Don't make those decisions. Okay? But sometimes you can be living right. Not perfect, but right. Going to church, loving your family, loving your coworkers. You know, you're tithing. You're doing all those things, and yet life gets hard. Maybe it's because it's time for an upgrade in your knowledge of God. Therefore, if you look at the names of God, the ones that we know of, the ones that's been revealed, Yahweh, right? Yahweh. Uh, it's been Latinized as Jehovah. But now uh, I am from Israel. So Yahweh, okay? Yahweh. God did not reveal this in a meet and greet. Moses, nice to meet you. I'm Yahweh. No. Moses has given this name amidst a massive crisis. He's 80 years old, a shepherd. God confronts him and says, it's time for you to face down the mighty storm of Egypt. And I know you're terrified, so let me give you my name, Yahweh. Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Not at a meet and greet. This is Abraham about to plunge his knife into Isaac, and God stops him and says, Abraham, over there, ram, in the thicket. And Abraham learns the name, Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Where do the people of God learn that name? It's when they're fighting for their life against the Amalekites. The Amalekites see a chance to wipe off this tribe from the face of the earth because they're vulnerable and they're exiting Egypt. They're not military men. They're refugees. They're ex-slaves. And so this is the time to kill them. And so Moses is up praying for his people. They don't know how to fight. They never fought before. And now they're in a battle for their life. And so Moses is interceding, praying so long that people have to hold up his hands. And as they win that battle, they discover the name. They, they, they re- learn the name. The Lord is my banner. Yahweh Rapha. The Lord heals. They learn that name as they're dying of thirst. And they're begging God for water. They find water. It's toxic. And the Lord has to heal the water that it might heal them. And they find the name, the Lord is my healer, Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh Shalom. I think you might know that. The Lord is my peace. Where does that name come? It's when Gideon has to fight again for the life of the Jews against the Midianite horde. And he learns the name, Yahweh Shalom. Almost every name of God is revealed in a crisis. You don't learn new names. Sipping margaritas on a placid lake. You learn new names as you cry out in desperation. God, my body is sick. I I don't know enough of you to handle this. 
and God reveals, I'm your healer. Lord, I don't have what I need. I'm lacking. And I, I, everything in my wisdom and all my capacity leaves me short. I, I am in need. I don't know what to do. And the Lord shows up as provider. He doesn't waste his name. It's not static. When he reveals the name, it's a name that is revealed because now you have the faith to believe for it. And therefore, storms are the necessary context for revelation. Because storms reveal to us our need for more of God. It's only then he speaks his name. So could it be that the reason why, even though you're living right, even though you're aiming for God, even though you're not living in egregious sin, your life can be hard right now, surprisingly hard, like a furious squall that kicks in. Maybe it's because God, it's not because he hates you or he's no longer in control. Maybe he has you exactly where he needs you to be to teach you a new name. A customized storm for a customized name of God that you need to learn by faith. I came out from D.C. to L.A., 3,000 miles to plant a church. I was living right. Brought 10 other people with us. And we're meeting every day, almost every day to worship, pray, pray for our city. We were living right. Amidst that, my wife got sicker than she's ever been. For two years, she was sick. Total system failure. We had to go to every specialist at UCLA. No one could diagnose her. There were nights where she felt like she was dying. And in the meantime, we're trying to plant a church. And I had no idea why this was happening. But what did happen was it drove me into fasting and prayer. And the Lord eventually healed her enough so that she could function and serve. We can love our church and build our church. There's still a limp, uh, metaphorically, but you know we're praying into that. But man, the Lord is, a, is my sustainer. I don't know what that is in Hebrew, but that's a name I learned. That I can get, there's enough grace for the next day, and for the next day, and for the next day. And I look back, wow, God's been good. And God built a church, and God built our family. Now I have these unique wounds that the Lord has filled like a well so other people can drink from and I can enter into people's pain. I didn't know what it, was mean, uh, what it means to be sick until my wife got sick and I had to care for her and she had to fight through that. Now I can enter into other people's pain. So all this I've learned amidst some severe storms even though I was living right. Maybe God wants to teach you something. Maybe you don't have enough of God yet and he wants to show you more, but he needs an atmosphere of faith because he's not going to waste his name. Second question, how can Jesus be sleeping? Supernatural peace. Because this is not a natural sleep. I was on a party boat hanging on for my life. It's making me reconsider tuna fishing. All right, it was bad. Um, and so, the, and that's a party boat like this the boat that jesus was in i actually got to see a first century boat that they dredged out of the mud from the sea of galilee they call it the jesus boat but you know we don't know if it's jesus's boat but it would have been that size it was maybe from the the bow all the way to the end was no longer than a really long canoe with and you imagine 12 men there and jesus is sleeping towards the front how can he be sleeping how is that possible the only thing i could think of was um back at my dormitory in college uh, we had this friend who was this notorious sluggard. 
right, was constantly lay- on his back. If he could be, he's laying down. He was so lazy, uh, he would just buy jeans and wear them for a month and throw it out. Literally wouldn't take it off for a month and just throw them out. And he would buy 12 pairs, I guess, throughout for the year. Um, and so you all have friends like that. Hopefully you're not that person. All right. <laughs> so anyway, um, the fire alarm rings and this is tuned to a pitch to wake up zombies like college students, right? To get them out of their beds and out of the dormitory. It's so shrieking loud. Okay. And, and somehow this guy slept through the whole thing. In fact, he was on the lounge sofa underneath the alarm. And we come back from that drill. I think it was a drill. We come back and he's still sleeping. And it's because in that particular instance, he was under the influence of some. <laughs> he was under the influence. He was a little too happy the night before. And I think the only way Jesus could be sleeping through this is if he's under the influence. Obviously not of alcohol, but of the Holy Spirit. That there was a deep, supernatural abiding in the Father that he was purposefully modeling because Jesus knows what's happening. He knows the moment he's like, let's go over there. He knew exactly what would happen. And he said to himself, I'm going to sleep through this. <laughs> and he could do that because he had the assurance that David had. If you look at Psalm 3, a lot of the Psalms are prophetic. Um, they explore the emotional life of our Savior because he would often quote this, uh, quote these things, or they're quoted about him. Psalm 3, the Lord Uh, Lord, how many are my foes? This is David being chased off the throne by his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Verse 5, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though ten thousands assail me on every side. I don't know about you, but if I'm being chased off my throne by my own son, and all the armies of Israel have turned their back against me, and ten thousand is not metaphoric, but that many people are trying to kill me, I wouldn't be sleeping. But David says, I will sleep because I trust in God. And that's what Jesus is doing. It's, it's this enacted sermon. It's a sermon on his back. He's saying, I am the son of God. What do I have to fear? I know exactly how my life will unfold. When we get to the other side, I cast out a demon legion. Pigs will fall off a cliff. I will rescue a man who thought cannot be rescued, and he will go and share this testimony to all of the Decapolis, which will prepare my ministry there. He knows all this will happen. Jesus is not afraid of the storm because he knows God's got him. That the purpose that God has on his life cannot be thwarted by Satan who is certainly blowing on these waters. And so he can rest and he can sleep and he's actually inviting his disciples into that rest because later he rebukes his disciples for not entering in. How do we enter into that sleep? That kind of peace because peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the, it's the assurity. It's the, it's, the, it's the sureness that Jesus is with you in the trouble, that he's got you. How do you live there? Because we certainly don't know with an omniscient mind what's going to happen and what will unfold, right? 
We don't know what the next day will hold, let alone the next week. So how, how is it possible we can enter into that rest? There's these, there's these promises, though, that were given. Romans 8, 28, that in all things, all things, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. In Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So we have these huge overarching promises that one, in all things, in all your troubles too, it encompasses all that. That there's nothing that escapes the sovereignty of God. Nothing surprises him. Nothing kind of leaked into his system. Nothing bypassed his attention. That in all things, in everything you're facing, including the difficult things, it's going to aim for your good. And then second, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Those two things work together. How do you, how do you become more than, I mean, being a conqueror itself would be nice. Winning my battles would be nice. But it says the promise that you are more than a conqueror. Here's what I think it means. A conqueror has to fight, and he or she might have confidence based on their win-loss record. Okay? But more than a conqueror, you guarantee, you're guaranteed the victory, and you know that even before you begin the fight. That's how you're more than a conqueror. That the outcome is not about the battle. The outcome is already set even before you step into battle. What does that mean for us? It means this. That in all things, God works for our good. Tim Keller says that God gives Satan just enough rope to hang himself in your life. It might look like Satan has an edge. It might look like he's causing you all kinds of trouble that can end your life or end your calling. But listen to me. If Satan were to end your life, it's just the fast pass to the glory of God right into his bosom. And if he were to frustrate your life, it's all just more revelation. Attack my body. I just find out deeper. The Lord's my healer. Attack my money. I just get to find out the Lord's my provider. All these hardships are just the grounds for miracles and breakthrough and revelation of God, which takes away all of Satan's footing. If he tries to kill me, fast past the glory. If he attacks me, revelation, breakthrough, miracles. That's why all we do is win, win, win. That's all we do. Yeah, you don't have a blueprint for tomorrow. Or for the next week, but you have these promises that tell you no matter what you're going through, it's going to end up for your good. And that the battle's already won before you begin. Because he is your Abba Father. He is with you. He will never leave you. You're destined for glory. And every hardship turns into revelation and breakthrough and miracles. That's the promise. And so, yeah, we still have to get through the storm. Yeah, we still have to get through the illness, but we can do so not frantic, fearful, anxious, but at peace, knowing he's with us, that there's a part of us deep inside that can rest. And this could just be a literal thing where you could sleep. Some of you have trouble sleeping. You can't close your eyes because all you do is think about the storm. And there is the gift of sleep. I'm speaking to some people who are insomniacs, who are haunted by all the ways you're insufficient and all the ways the world looks too scary and all the ways life is too painful. And it might be in your own flesh, but you have Jesus who says he's got you. Which leads me to my last point, my second to last point. What's with the rebuke? What's with the rebuke? Jesus says, 
Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus says fear is the opposite of faith. If you're afraid, you have no faith. And so he's telling his disciples, you have a choice to make and you made the wrong one. I know you're professional fishermen, but think about what's happening. Picture this, guys. Jesus is not in a yacht. There's no undercarriage. He's not like in a bed with people upstairs. This is a long ro- a sailboat that's like a canoe. And if Jesus is, and, and the way I saw the fishing boat, um, the, towards the bow, um, there's some platforms where people could, could lay down if they wanted to, but it'd be awkward. Okay, if you have 12 men rowing or sailing, to have one person lay down, they would take up half the boat. And they'd be right in the middle. Like you'd have to kind of scooch over to let this man sleep. And so this is not Jesus sleeping in some unknown deck. He is right there. Okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. I know the waves are kicking up and the wind's howling, but all you got to do is look over and see that I'm sleeping. When my kids, when they were young, not so much now, but when they were young, and if you're parents, you know this, the way they know to be scared or not is look at my face, right? Thunder strikes, their first instinct is look at me and go, is everything, is everything okay? And if I look scared, they'll, they'll be scared. <laughs> That's how we are. We look to the authority, the power in the room, and we go, are we okay? We're okay, we're good. And that's what Jesus is basically saying. I know the wind's howling. And the storm's kicking up. But did you not see me literally heal a whole village like days ago? Like I cast out every demon in the room. I healed every sick person. You saw eyeballs growing back. You, hear, you saw deaf people here. People who could not walk are walking. The demoniac in the town is in their, his or her right mind. Like the whole village has been set free. You know I've got power. I've got authority. And I am sleeping. You just have to look at my face. And that will let you worship through the storm. Because the one in your boat stronger. And you have to lock your eyes on that. You, you, when you have a storm, it's one of two things. You either lock your eyes on the storm and you become the storm. The chaos of the storm. Or you put your eyes on the one who is literally with you. Not far, in your boat, right next to you. And he invites you to look upon him because Jesus is not sweaty. He's not nervous. He's not an insomniac. He's the king of peace. But here's what he says. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. The one condition to that peace is you can't be afraid. But how do we do that? I don't know how to do that in my own strength. All I can do is aim my eyes at Jesus. Like a child looking at daddy's face. Is it okay? It's okay. That's the invitation. We're not strong enough to calm ourselves down. The invitation is to look at the sleeping face, the peaceful face of Jesus who is in your boat. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are arrested, locked up in a dungeon, shackles on their feet. Who knows? Maybe they'll be whipped. Maybe they'll be killed. It's not a good moment. But at midnight, they are worshiping, it says. Because their eyes are not on the shackles or on the, on the prison bars, which would freak me out. Their eyes 
are on Jesus who's with them. And they're singing to him at midnight. And they're singing until the atmosphere shifts and the cells match their spirit. They're free inside. Then they are free physically. And they, the gospel goes forth. I'm not saying that your situation circumstantially might change immediately. But I do know that this story would have been different. If their eyes were on Jesus, the storm would have quieted upon their faith. But Jesus just has to expedite it for them. Right? But he's telling these disciples, you have the power. If Jesus, if I'm with you, if you put your faith in me, the storms of life will quiet, at least internally and very often externally as well. Um, Bow your heads with me. I want to do this. You know, the more we get into these services, the more ideas I get. So (laughs) I want to try this with you. If you can bow your heads. I want you, for those of you who are finding yourself in a difficult moment, a furious squall has kicked up. And you find yourself in difficulty. I want you to picture yourself in a boat. And for the weather and the water to match your circumstances. Make it as loud and crazy as your life feels. Could you see it? Wind howling. Water kicking up. Just taste that anxiety for a second. It's, it's what keeps you up at night. It's what makes you run into your addictions. Sometimes it's hard to pray. It chokes you. Now, I want you to picture Jesus in your boat. He's laying there right next to you. Eyes closed. Peaceful. Just stare at the face of Jesus. And I want to say this prophetically. I think Jesus is inviting you to let go of the oars, let go of the sail, and just lay down next to him. Just imagine yourself just reclining next to your Savior. He wants you to know that he's got you. That he'll lead you. He loves you. And that through this, he will reveal more of himself to you. There's a purpose to this. The king of peace. The disciples ask, who is this man that can calm the waves and command the storm? His name is Jesus. King of peace. Lord, for all those right now reclining with you who are maybe seeing you in the midst of this storm for the first time, I speak peace over their life, Jesus. May your shalom be in their boat right now. Quiet the internal storm, God. Let there be this peace that they feel Help them to sleep at night. Your word says, God, all who are weary and burdened to come to you and you will give us rest to take off our heavy yoke. We do that now in the name of Jesus. We pray this in your name.
Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.